from Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. If you're never around the right people and you're the only one dreaming this, you will think you're crazy. But if you hang around with a room full of people doing it, which you can do at any conference or listening to podcasts like David's, yeah, that helps a lot. Today on episode 10 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Sufit. After 10 years as a litigation lawyer, Sufit left law for the limelight, performing comedy on national TV and gaining international attention for her debut music CD. This seems like a pretty scary jump into the unknown to me. I'm sure you'll find some good tips on how to plow forward into new territory as an entrepreneur. You can find out more about Sufit and all of our episodes at smashingtheplateau.com slash going solo. Are you building your business after a job loss? Let's talk. Visit our site at smashingtheplateau.com. Click schedule time with David to speak with me. Now, before we jump into this incredibly important topic with Sufit, I'd like to talk about CADSource. If you're creating content that gives real value, ideas, information, a story, a gift, or entertainment, and you want to build connections with your audience, call the marketing team at CASSource. They'll help you with the creative and the execution of the creative. Learn more by visiting cascm.com. Now let's welcome Sufit. Sufit, welcome to the show. Great to be here. So, Sufit, I know you and I have done a show before on Smashing the Plateau. Let's start off by talking a little bit about your background and how you went from a sort of uh, highly skilled professional who was an employee to being an independent business owner. Okay, sure. So, I grew up in a time where you know, I used to play the game careers and you could be a doctor, a lawyer, uh, an accountant, an astronaut, you know, if, uh, if you uh, were so inclined, but there were certain defined careers. But what I wanted to be at that time was an actress, a singer. And, you know, my parents, like most parents, like me probably now with my kids, um, said, well, Sophie, you got to be practical. And, you know, being an actress isn't a practical career and they're a singer and people don't really make it. And so I was always very interested in law. I used to watch Perry Mason when I was very, very young. And so thought, yeah, I would love to be a lawyer. I was in the debate club, things like that. So uh, while I was in high school, I was always in shows. But when I, you know, uh, went to school, I did kind of a renaissance undergrad at that time. You didn't have to specialize, which I think is great. I think right now people are pressured to specialize way too early. So I took everything. I took, you know, the history of censorship and I took computers when it was, you know, they still had <laughs> those punch cards. And um I took, you know, a concentration of literature and different things like that. And then I graduated with a degree in nothing, right? Like Renaissance woman. So then I, luckily I did well. So I was admitted to uh, law school and um, got a law degree, became a lawyer, did that for about 10 years. Then I had four daughters in four years and sort of had that Peggy Lee moment that, you know, is that all there is moment of, you know, am I going to be a lawyer for the rest of my life? And after my fourth daughter was born, uh, I kind of got a little nudge because the law firm that I was working for had never had a pregnant lawyer before. 
Um, I was the very first pregnant lawyer. And to add to their um, bliss at my uh, announcement, my first daughter was born nine months almost to the day from when I started working there. Now, I wasn't pregnant when I got there, but you know, nine months later, I had a baby. And then a year later, I had another baby. And then a year later, I had another baby. Then a year later, I had another baby. So I come back from maternity leave two weeks, I'm back. And they were very afraid, and it could have happened, that, you know, a few months later, I would announce, oh, by the way, guys, I'm pregnant again. And again, these guys had never had a pregnant lawyer before. So they were not thrilled. So they gave me notice. So I think I had eight, nine months notice, worked out the notice. And then when I left there, I sort of, um, I, actually, I don't know if I'm going beyond your question or not, or, or am I still on the right track here? Can keep going. This is good. Okay. So after, um, you know, I was done there, yeah, I was kind of dreaming of, you know, I'd always loved the idea of singing and acting and comedy and things like that. Not so much comedy, actually, the singing and acting. But again, I was thinking, okay, I got to be practical. So for a very short time, I kind of looked around and tried to find um, some kind of law position. And again, like you said, I was an employee as a lawyer. I'd never gone out on my own as a lawyer because I didn't want to have to deal with all the other aspects that one has to deal with. And, you know, as a new lawyer, there's so much that you don't know. And even as, you know, an older lawyer, there's so much that you don't know. You can never know everything about everything. So there's a security in having people to, you know, walk next door and ask them about a case. So, you know, being in my own practice was never really that something I took that seriously, although I did go to a one-day workshop about how to start your own practice as a lawyer, but I never really seriously thought I would. So that wasn't really an option. So I kind of looked half hard not half-heartedly, I looked for another law job. It wasn't um, happening. And also, I live in not exactly suburbia, but north of the city. So, you know, I had to uh, make the big trip downtown every day, you know, pregnant or with a newborn baby and you drop the baby at home, you go back to work, you drop the other baby at home, you go back to work. So you arrive home, you know, with a commute an hour, an hour and a half, you know, it's 7, 7.30 p.m. I see my kids for the first time and still at the office when I'm leaving, I remember this one partner said to me, he sees me leaving like 5, 5.30 one day and he goes, oh, so see, banker's hours. You know, like he was giving me a hard time about leaving and here, meanwhile, I have this hour and a half trip to go home and, you know, see my kids for a few minutes before they go to bed and then get up in the next morning and do the whole thing all over again. So after I left, I thought, you know what? Maybe there's something else I can do, but I wasn't sure what it was. I didn't know what it was. And so I took myself to a cafe and to a different places, like a nice Greek restaurant where I'm sitting outside. I could pretend I'm in Greece with a pen and paper and try to think, well, what am I dreaming of? What do I think I might be able to do on my own? Didn't seriously consider um, law, as I said, on my own. And, you know, after having tried to find a job and not finding one. And so I started to think, well, what are my talents? You know, I've got this humor, I'm engaging, you know, I love to advise and to collaborate. And, and slowly, slowly, I thought, you know, what am I good at doing? Well, one thing I was good at doing was I had put out a music CD and I learned how to promote it. And I thought, you know what, I can show other people how to promote their stuff. First, I was thinking it would be creative entrepreneurs or, or you know, people in, in the music or acting industries. But later I thought, no, no, you know, those people might not be able to pay for it. And, and it was easier to find entrepreneurs to coach once I learned that there were things like the Chamber of Commerce and business networking events. So I started going to those. And um, my first business was called Follow That Dream, which was a coaching business. 
helping people make the transition that I had made. You know, so if you have an accountant who really wants to be uh, an aviator or, you know, or, or start a business selling uh, pancakes or, you know, whatever it is, they would come to me. And then so for, for a few years, I was promoting that. And, and so I learned that there were business places you could go to do a 30-second, what they call infomercial or introduction. Uh, they give you the microphone. And I was getting applause for mine. I was getting lineups afterwards. So I thought, yeah, you know what? Maybe that's something I can do. So I started coaching people on the 30-second networking infomercial that they did so that they could attract clients because I would go – you know, somebody would be going for five years, let's say a realtor or a financial advisor, they'd be going for years and saying, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm a real estate agent, so whether you want to buy a house or sell a house, now's a really good time in the market. And, and they'd go for five years and not get any clients. Meanwhile, Sufit Waltz is in, does some 30-second shtick, and she's got a lineup of people and she gets clients. So, so they started putting me on stage to teach them how to do it. And I started being asked to be a speaker at business conferences and at you know, whatever uh, training programs and seminars they had. And so that became one of my areas of specialty. So after a while, the follow that dream became not 100% of my business, maybe, you know, 30, 40, 50% of my business. And the other half became step into the spotlight, which is how to attract people, whether it's in 30 seconds or 30 minutes, whether it's online, whether it's through writing a book. I, I launched a course called the Book Creation Workshop. I have another one called 30 Seconds in the Spotlight and another fundamental one called Step into the Spotlight, which is all about teaching people you know, it's one thing to follow your dream and be in business, but how do you get people lined up to pay you for whatever it is that you do? Like people often, you know, focus on the dream part of it and they don't give any attention to the, how am I practically going to make this happen? So that's kind of the shift that happened. So it sounds like a very iterative process for you. Yeah. Speak English, David. <laughs> well, you, you, I know what, I kind of know you, what iterative means, but not you, exactly. You you took a step. You looked at what worked, like iterations, what, yeah, right? Yeah. What didn't work so well, right? Did a little more of what worked. Dropped the stuff that didn't work, and right. you know made made a lot of tiny pivots along the way. Exactly. Right. Listening exactly. to your audience, seeing what people were interested in, seeing what people would buy, because uh, you know you've you've emphasized that you not only wanted to do something that you felt good about doing and that you loved doing, but also something people would pay you for. Yeah. And, and, you know, to that end, it was, you know, David, I'd have to, I have to say it was kind of an iterative process because, <laughs> <laughs> see, I don't Okay. So, so what happened was like at the beginning, it was kind of how to be your own publicist was part of it. Right. When I started morphing from follow that dream to step into the spotlight and I was actually going to my book, which is called step into the spotlight, a guide to getting noticed was originally going to be called how to be your own publicist. Uh, until one day I walk in the bookstore and somebody beat me to it and I see facing me, staring me in the face, this really rude woman wrote this book called How to Be Your Own Publicist, you know, very imaginative title both she and I came up with. So I just condensed that to chapter five of my current book and said, you know what, maybe there's more to it than just how to be your own publicist. And again, around your issue of iterations. I thought that that would be it, you know, after I left Follow That Dream, that it would be, I actually, I never left, I still do that, but but after I morphed into increasing, you know, the business to include how to show people how to get noticed, I thought I'll show them how to get noticed in the media, and I focused on that, and then I realized, like you, you said, it was a series of, you know, pivots, I realized that even though I can teach them how to do that, and I've done it myself, and I have had success with clients doing that, 
it's not completely in their control because the media is such a, you know, changing and morphing uh, institution every, you know, while we're talking, new media is being created, old media is, you know, struggling. So I thought to myself, you know what? This is part of what I'm great at, but I had just come from a session with these two women who did wine tastings and and uh, they came to me for help with, you know, working on their act, let's say. I mean, they also sold wine and and uh, when I came from a session, I realized I was laughing my head off in the session and having so much fun. I thought, you know, how to be your own publicist is great and it is part of what I still teach. But I made the, the change to something that also made me feel you know, that I had more control over the process because I knew I could teach them to be better speakers. I knew I could teach them how to get more attention. I also know I can teach them how to get more media, but it's not completely in their hands, right? Whereas the speaking kind of is. So so there was a bit of a transition there as well. And so Step in the Spotlight really encompasses you know, step in the spotlight with your branding, step in the spotlight with your speaking, step in the spotlight with publicity. So it became part of it rather than all of it. And again, through the process that you suggested with your big word, I figured, let me do something where at least I, I can see the results more predictably in, in clients. So Sophie, looking back on it, how long did it take from the first day that you were no longer working as a lawyer until you felt like you had a business that was working for you and that you also felt was meeting your financial goals? So I, I think I spent about a year, I may be mistaken about the dates, but I think I spent about a year trying to figure out the law thing. And at the same time, kind of trying to explore my other options. But once I kind of decided that this is what I'm doing, I first went to, there are some business kind of incubators, sometimes fu- funded by municipal or provincial or I guess state for you governments. And so I went to some of those courses that's where they forced me to come up with a name. I was just going to be two feet, a coach, right? But they forced me to come up with a name. So I threw out their Follow That Dream, which coincidentally is the name of an Elvis Presley movie, which made it hard to get the URL. <laughs> so I never got .com. So that process, from the time that I decided this is what I'm doing until I was fully booked doing it was about 10 months. And I used to go to networking meetings after that and brag about, very humbly brag, uh, <laughs> about how I got fully booked in 10 months and that was supposed to entice people to come to me until a few years later I came to another, I guess I'll say epiphany or realization or whatever, that I don't know if my dream is really to be fully booked because here I am, there were all these newspaper articles about me and I remember it was hilarious. You know, I'm, I, I live in Canada, igloo country, right? Middle of winter, I'm with my, you know, down coat kind of parka style thing and I'm schlepping to the the newspaper box to see this article about me which didn't come out the week they said so you know I I came out for a few weeks to see and finally it comes out and there's this photo of me with my bare feet in the air on the dock with water behind me and a big smile and carefree right and I look at the photo of me and I think the title of the article is something like follow that dream or whatever I look at the article and then I look down at myself in my coat and my heavy briefcase and I, I felt kind of a bit like a fraud I thought you know here they are selling the dream And here I am schlepping around after back-to-back clients all day, five days a week, and not really living the dream. I mean, really, was that my dream? Uh, And then bragging about it at networking meetings. So I started taking the advice that I gave my clients. I would often tell clients, you know, take Fridays off. So one summer I took Fridays off, and I thought, hmm, I like this. What happens if I also take Mondays off? 
And so slowly, slowly, I started to shorten my work week and kind of bundle people together. So I wouldn't give them a choice of Monday or Friday. I'd give back to back to back Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and still was pretty fully booked. And then I thought, you know, what else can I do? So I raised my rate. So I had less clients, but the same amount of income, you know, and from there I, I kept raising my rates. And then when the book came out, I started to get clients internationally, which was nice, you know, whether in Germany or New Zealand or Hong Kong or Paris or wherever it was. And again, one can raise one's rates and I didn't have to schlep in the winter because I can um, network sitting at home in my flip flops and I can do radio interviews and podcast interviews like this one. And in that way, have a little bit more control over my career, my business. Now, you still don't have control in that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you never know, you know, clients can leave you in the blink of an eye. And, you know, you're always chasing the next client. But on the other hand, I can go wherever I want, I can do whatever I want, I can make my own rules. And I do make my own rules. So I have all these people who want to, you know, talk to me about things. And, they, and I say, yeah, I'm happy to talk to you. I'll call you when I can. And they all send me their little calendar calendars. And I just laugh at their little calendar calendars because I don't want to fill out your silly calendar calendar or whatever it is. I don't know if I have the name right. Because the whole point of becoming an entrepreneur for me was to have freedom to make my life, my dream life, the way I want. And I won't say that it is exactly yet my dream life. I'm still not, you know, working from my uh, beach chair, looking out at the Pacific. But, you know, I did spend a couple of months in Spain this winter. Uh, and I did see my clients from Spain. So it does give you more freedom. And it's something uh, worth pursuing, I'd say. Right. And there's, there's always room to evolve more. Exactly. Many iterations. Right. <laughs> I know you laugh, but uh, this this is my engineering training. That's an engineering word. Well, I used to be a lawyer, so, you know, I mean, bring it on. Like, you know, it's interesting. When I wrote my book, especially the How to Be Your Own Publicist book, it was written in the voice of a lawyer. And when I decided to abandon that book and make it chapter five of Step into the Spotlight, the rest of Step into the Spotlight was written in the voice of a comedian because I eventually did comedy on national TV. I don't know if I put that in here. And I was on a sitcom for four years. I, I think I left that out of our intro. Anyway, so here I have chapters, you know, one, two, three, four, six, seven written in the voice of a comedian. And I've got this condensed chapter five, which is a shorter version of this book written in the voice of a lawyer. And that doesn't work. So I had to get a few editors to help me to try to, to feed it up, you know, to put it back. And it's still a little bit more of a, you know, engineer slash lawyer chapter, uh, more of a how-to chapter than the rest of it. But I, but I hear you on the voice, uh, David. Yeah. So, Sufi, going back to the, the very beginning of this transition, that like the first day that you're not working as a lawyer, like you mentioned, it, it took you about a year of sort of testing out different approaches to figure out what you really wanted to go deep with and then another 10 months to, to like get fully booked. You know, I'm not really sure if that's a hundred percent accurate because it's so long ago. I mean, we're talking, you know, I don't know, 18, 19 years ago, but I think that that's the way it was. But it wasn't a week. No, no, it definitely was not a week. Right. And, and especially for people that are, that are going from one job to another job, they usually think in terms of, you know, let's, let's see if I can get myself hired again within a few weeks or maybe a month yeah. or two, but certainly not not a year, right? Well, but I'm talking fully booked though, but when I went to my first networking meeting, I, I got clients more or less right away. I mean, not a zillion of them, but like I would go and I did my 30 seconds and I did get clients. 
Right, right. But uh, the contrast I'm trying to make is for somebody who's thinking about going from paycheck to paycheck. Oh, right, yeah. Right. When you leave. You can't the f- replace it right away for sure. Right. When you leave the first paycheck, your income goes from 100 percent to zero. Right. You know, you may have unemployment or other kinds of benefits, but essentially, especially if you're a, a well-paid person, you're going basically from 100% to zero. And then if you get hired by somebody else, you're going from zero back to 100 in, instantly. No, no, no. You could be going from zero to 5% because for me, like I, I wasn't I wasn't replacing a – like a lot of entrepreneurs make the no, mistake no, for, for you, of For you as an entrepreneur, I'm saying as a, as an, if you're getting another job, when you get a, a, that second job, your income is going right back up again. If you're an entrepreneur, it's oh, different. Oh, a second job, a second job. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And I'm contrasting that shift from employment to entrepreneurship is a very different kind of shift. Right. And the question I have for you is, right at the very beginning, what was your biggest fear going into this? Well, you know what? I guess at the very beginning, I wasn't feeling that fearful because I was just kind of experimenting. Like, I mean, I didn't really know you know, if it would work or not. But that said, I had four kids, you know, four younger kids that needed to be taken care of. So I'm not sure if at day one I had that fear, but there were three o'clock in the morning times when, you know, you get up maybe three o'clock in the morning and think, what the hell am I doing? Like, what am I doing? You know, like, do I need to go get a job? How can I support these kids? You know, you can, it's one thing if you're, you know, on your own doing this. It's still scary. But when you know that other people depend on you, and then you also have the pressure from other people, from family members who said, you're doing what? You know? Exactly. 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 Yeah. And even neighbors, you know, one of my neighbors confided to me that when I stopped being a lawyer, that her husband, you know, like, I'm thinking, what, what have my neighbors got to do anything? But he's also thinking, what, is she not? Like, oh, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I, I was, uh, when I was doing comedy for a while, I mean, I never made significant money doing comedy, but I did appear at, a little bit at comedy clubs and did a comedic role on TV. So, and I got a lot of publicity, one of the skills I had learned. So I was at the local Staples or whatever it was called, Office Depot, taking uh, copies for my press kit. In those days, it was on paper rather than online. And so making, you know, 100, 200 copies of a newspaper article about me. And I happened to run into one of the regulars at the comedy club. He was a regular MC there or whatever. And he happened to see the article about me. And he said, I didn't know you were a lawyer. What are you doing this for? Like the comedy thing. And, you know, I'm telling him this is my dream or whatever. And he goes, look, Tufit, if I could have been a lawyer, I wouldn't be doing this. So even the people that are supposedly following the same dream that I'm following were giving me a hard time about, you know, what am I doing? Yeah. So you don't, you don't get that much support from people who don't get it. Exactly. So when you had those three o'clock in the morning thoughts, what was most helpful to keep moving forward? Go back to bed and see the sun in the morning. <laughs> uh, that's one thing. Um, listening to motivational, you know, audios. I mean, we didn't have podcasts then, but uh, there were some, you know, audios and videos online and not online. I went to seminars, meeting other people. I know my daughter is now doing what I'm doing. And what did it for her was I took her, I was booked to go to a marketing conference in Chicago. And I had already booked the flight and the hotel and the conference. 
And then because she and I, I have four daughters, but this is my second daughter, because she and I had discussed marketing on many occasions, after I'd already booked my trip, I said to her, hey, you don't want to come to this thing with me, do you? And she, and she was thrilled. She said, of course I do. So I had to change my flight and everything and add her. She was only 19 then. She's making her living doing this now because I exposed her to a room full of people. And they also had a younger version part, which I kind of... Um, she was borderline age for. And she now says that the way she started was being around people who are actually doing this. And for me, being in rooms with people who, you know, just out of nowhere made a living, whether it's selling knitting classes or, you know, horse, I think it's called dressage or something. I think it's when horses dance. I don't even know what it is. But like all these things that you wouldn't believe are real careers and, and coaches and mentors and all these things. Being in rooms full of people who have done this successfully, it starts to make you think that it's possible as opposed to hanging around with neighbors and family members who've only ever known what it's like to be an employee. My father, um, may he rest in peace, was a math professor for his whole career. He's, my father has never had a job other than, you know, he went, he got his PhD, he got a job as a math professor, and he did that, you know, for his whole life. So I grew up in a family where, you know, generations ago, they had little stores and whatever, but, but it was an academic family and you, you got an education, you got a job. And I must admit, now as a parent, I'm a little bit doing what my parents did to me and what society did to me with my own kids who have their own dreams, right? I'm kind of saying, well, are you sure this dancing thing is practical? Are you sure this, you know, music thing is practical? Because my kids also have the same bug that I have. They want to be creative. They want to do all these entrepreneurial artistic things. But as a parent, you, you know, you want to protect your family member. So I would just say you'd really have to figure out what you want and how to make it practical to do it. It's not enough just to dream it. You have to put some, and that's where the lawyer slash engineer slash, you know, you know, you need both right brain and left brain, I think, to make this work. Right. Along with being around the right people. Uh, that's one of the most important parts of this, because if you're never around the right people and you're the only one dreaming this, you will think you're crazy. But if you hang around with a room full of people doing it, which you can do at any conference or listening to podcasts like David's, yeah, that, that helps a lot. Yeah, Sufi, this has been a great conversation. Um, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and talking a little bit about the journey you've taken through your career, as well as dealing with some of the obstacles. Um, so thank you so much. My guest today has been Sufi. Thank you, Sufi, for joining us. Pleasure. When you visit the Going Solo website at smashingtheplateau.com, slash going solo, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how Tsufit went from being a litigation lawyer in a firm to become an entrepreneur in the limelight. Are you building your business after a job loss? Let's talk. Visit our site at smashingtheplateau.com. Click schedule time with David to speak with me. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them learn how to build a successful business after a late career job loss. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Going Solo to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.